Oh my god, can you believe it? Episode number 11. It's a prime number. I always like prime number episodes. They end up better, I think. Because they're unique. Yep. They're, uh, they're special moments in time, which means that these the episodes are just going to get worse as we go on. That's right. We reached the plateau, boys and girls, and it's just going to get fucking worse from here on out. Yeah. So, anyway, so anyway, welcome to episode number 11 of the Development Hell podcast. If I sound uh, more extremely chill than normal, it's because I am recording this podcast from the 22nd century. I'm laying on my couch in my home office talking to you via my Jesus pad. Nice. That's pretty exciting. I'm I'm still in my recliner on my uh, MacBook Air. My, that's the Jesus laptop, I think. I I think so. I would love to get a MacBook Air if you could cram like eight gigs of RAM into it. I think Apple would sell like a whole jillion of those. That is that is probably the only that's the only thing that I really kind of miss about it. With that, I can only put four gigs of RAM in it. If you could put eight gigs in it, it'd be awesome because you could run. Uh, big VMs in it, and it, it, you you wouldn't even notice. As it is, it works okay if you run like a small one, and you don't notice it too much. But yeah. So anyway, we hate to disappoint people, but there is no guest on this show, so it's just the gruesome twosome, as Ed likes to call us. Yep. And we have our pirate pad fired up with a couple of things that we're going to talk about. And as usual, we'll probably end up rambling about other things. But let's get started. So the first thing that I, I wanted to talk about was is labeled under what I. Uh, love to call my uh, iPad the Jesus pad. So the reason why I mm-hmm. wanted to bring this up was, as I was explaining to Ed briefly before the show, at uh, Kaplan Professional, we use Scrum. And so as a result of Scrum, we have sprints, and we have stories, and we have story points. And Chris pisses and moans and tries to prevent people from overcommitting because I say I like to have a life, and the rest of you who don't have significant others got to stop trying to harsh my mellow by making us do so much work. Yes. So, so when our sprints are over, we usually do uh, a retrospective. And what happens in the retrospective is that we get to talk about what we liked and didn't like about the previous sprint. And the thing that makes that made this sprint this time, the sprint retrospective bearable, was the fact that I was able to do the entire sprint, not sitting in front of my computer, but sitting on the couch in my office, just like I am now, on my iPad. So... And how did this wonderful event happen, you might ask? I'm about, hey, uh, how did this wonderful event happen? Well, it happened because the iPad is awesome and because of three apps in particular that made made this possible. First of all, of course, is Skype, which I use all all the time. Uh, I use it to talk to Ed, which is probably why my voice sounds uh, fucked up most of the time. I use it at work to call in for conference calls because I get to work remotely. So, So to do this, I was connected via Skype. I was connected to, um, then we use join me. So join.me awesome, awesome screen sharing tool. Use that where someone would be the presenter. Usually my boss, the development manager, uh, in the office there in lacrosse, he will fire up a, a join.me link. And then we all watch as he types things in a Google docs document. So we can all have evidence of all the things we're pissing and moaning about. And then on top of it, because we use TeamSpeak at work as a text plus audio, way to stay in touch. Uh, there's a TeamSpeak client for uh, the iPad. So I was able to stay connected, talk to people via chat, text chat, uh, talk to people via Skype, and watch what's going on with JoinMe. And I have to say this, Ed, I don't know how much uh, jo- of JoinMe you've used, None. but the iPad app is actually better than the um, Java monstrosity that runs on my um, on my MacBook. I found that a few times that... Uh... 
that stuff just works better. Maybe because they like were forced to not use some turd of a code base that they came up with, you know? Yeah, for it's sure. Like, so I, I did notice that the screen was, I mean, of course the screen on the iPad is awesome anyway, right. but just, I found the app to be really responsive and I didn't see a lot of the, the, the jitter and refresh problems that sometimes occur um, as the packets have to come through the Canadian border and they're inspected uh, for their ID before they're allowed in. But right. um, it, you know, it was good. And so, I mean, I joked that, that I felt like I was in the 22nd century doing all this on a tablet, but um, I mean, Ed, I think that this is in a lot of ways, what I did, that's, that's, it may be odd now, but that's going to be the future. Cause I really think the trend seems to be, driving more and more people away from general purpose computing devices and onto specialized ones. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, the Now that joined in client, is that like one way? Like you can only view stuff, you can't like rebroadcast your iPad? Uh, no, join.me, yeah, no, it's, it, it is, well, whoever hosts it, um, you can see everything they're doing on their screen and then everyone who views. Like could you host it on your iPad, I guess I'm asking. Yeah, I could. I can host it on my iPad. I could fire up a session. So I you could can, try, you I can show try. off like Angry Birds space. Yeah, if it, if it came down to it, I love Angry Birds space. So could I, you use it to like watch? You could watch something on Netflix, and then like everybody else could watch too. Um, I don't know. I haven't tried it, but you probably could. That's even, a great use of the time. Uh, even uh, even on the MacBook for sure. Whatever's on my whatever's on my screen, I can share it via Join Me. So that would be awesome. It'd be kind of weird because you wouldn't be able to hear the audio. You would just be able to. Oh, see you something. don't get the audio. Okay. Uh, no, you don't get the audio. It's just it's what kind just of piece of shit is that? Well, I don't know because bandwidth is hard. It's hard to compress the audio and stream it out in real time to other machines. I guess. No, it's not. <sighs> okay, asshole. I don't know why. Happy. I mean, yeah, exactly. Right. You don't even know. I don't know. Just make this stuff up to you. Well, we've all seen from Star Trek that you're going to carry around like those, like a tablet. They had those in Star Trek Next Generation with like the LaCars interface on it. You carry around a thing like that. So, yeah, basically it's the wave of the future, right? But those were Android tablets, though, weren't they? Yeah, that was what was unrealistic about it. <laughs> the fact that they worked was probably the most unrealistic part of it at the time. Yeah. Um,. Have you ever used an Android device for more than like five seconds? I used to have an old, old G1 phone. Oh, so you had a G1. Okay, right. So you have. Um, well, let me tell you something. They have not gotten much better. That's a damn shame. Because what do you think? What do you think's holding back Android from being decent? Um, I think there's a couple things. I mean, a lot of it is decent relative to like what else is on the market. And um, would you quit? What are you rolling with a like a squirrel on your microphone? Sounds terrible. No, yeah, quit fooling around with that. Fun. I'm gonna put it down there. You happy now? All right. Yeah. Quit. Whatever you do. Anyway, the point is, um, I what was I talking about? Android versus yeah, right. So competitors. it doesn't help that what Apple does really, really well is they give an enormous amount of shit about like how stuff works like like in terms of user experience and the user experience um that like that's like culturally like what apple's about right and for all the things i might bitch about them with them they do a really extremely good job at that the vast majority of the time and 
My impression is that uh, at Google, they just don't have that same sort of like cultural commitment to that sort of thing, like making that like the number one priority. Uh, and so I think that's reflected in the devices. I think the other thing too is that they're they have more like masters to deal with, right? Because um, Apple has enough money and enough weight and enough arrogance to just go in and say no, fuck you, we're going to do it this way and tell everyone else to suck it, right? The, uh, you know, the impression I have is that probably the next closest, like, stuff that is a, a good, like, usability kind of thing are probably, the, the Windows phones are actually pretty good. The Windows Yeah, that's phone. what I've heard, that the interface is actually pretty good. Yeah. I have not seen a Windows phone at all. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm assuming they're available up here in Kanakistan. Yeah, I think so, but it's true. that I don't think I've ever seen one actually, so anybody using one, like, out in the world. Um, I've seen Android phones, and I've seen lots of iPhones, of course. But I've And uh, Palm phones. My wife is still loving the uh, Palm Prey that you gave me, by the way. And uh, I actually, I, it's kind of weird. Like, I have two friends and... Uh, who both they have, we have all have kids at the same school and we're all like the volunteer tech committee for it. So when I go to a meeting there, they are both like, I'll bring my touchpad out and they're using their touchpad. Right. And nice. dur, dur, dur. yeah, that's like more than I'd ever seen ever anywhere. Right. <laughs> in one place. Right. They just a weird coincidence. They're both into it. So, um, I still have mine and it's just sitting on its dock. Never used. Uh, but, like it's not like the Android stuff is like terrible necessarily. Like it's basically functional, but it's just not very good, I don't think. And uh maybe stuff's gotten better in four, but then you got like <laughs> then it's like you can't even it's like a huge pain in the ass to even find like a phone that that definitely has it on it. Let alone, God forbid, you have a phone that, you know, uh, didn't ship with it. Now you got to wait around for uh, an, uh, an OS update to come out. I don't know. Or you, have to, or you have to root it, and then you can install your own, right, unlock you could, it, and root it. Because that's what I did on my old G1. I had alternate ROMs uh, running on it. Right. But I got to a point where the place that I was getting mine from just said, oh, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're not supporting that phone anymore. So I was stuck. Yeah, right. Um, so the another really good thing that Apple did with iOS was they, um, you know, they obviously they couldn't like build their own network. Oh, I guess there was some discussion about that, but they never did that. But uh, they have total control over like releasing software updates and hardware stuff, and they basically say, "Yeah, fuck you. We're going to do what we want on it." So they can release a software update whenever they want. And those, they're the only folks who get to worry about it. And nobody else has that kind of control. So Google can't say, would you please let us, you know, release this software update? I guess they can for their phones, but then it's like, what is Samsung going to push out an update? Well, it might come out for one carrier, but it won't come out for another carrier because the other carrier hasn't, approved it and doesn't want to push out and the carriers don't want you to get an update on the software because it lets you have uh, the hardware longer and 
run past your subsidized contract setup. So they want you to keep buying a new phone and just toss the other phone out because every time you upgrade, that means you get to be locked in for two more years. Or if you live up where you do, three more years or whatever, right? Yep. Um, so they don't want you to have a software update and keep your phone longer. That's completely not what they want you to do. So, you know, the carriers, I mean, uh, there's other reasons too. I mean, I, understandably, there's like issues of, well, we have to support this phone. People are going to call us up and be like, how do I get my contacts off it and stuff like that, right? But um, you also, but there's, it's not, it's not a, a financial motivator for them. It doesn't help them any, you know? Uh, so they don't have any motivation to allow OS updates to come out. Um, so I don't know, you know, phone no, carriers I, are terrible. I, hear you. I so, mean, also yeah. you look at it in terms of, um, you're right. What they really want is for people to continue to pay those early termination fees and get locked in for another fixed term. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, I mean, that is, uh, sadly, that is a business model. Um, and I'm sure it's one that gets the, uh, carriers lots of money. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, so this dovetails nicely into something else. I know I was making fun of you on Twitter when you were saying that you wanted to find a book about objective C and, and I had said that I can easily see you transitioning from making shitty JavaScript apps to making even more shitty iPhone apps. And we, uh, and, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Brian Deshong, uh, made the mistake of piping up and saying that he would be willing to do, uh, cause I joked about, uh, a dev hell, uh, iPad app that would just, um, uh, make weird noises and throw random insults, uh, at people based on audio from our previous, uh, so previous podcast. Really- it's a, almost a fart app, which got me to think, I mean, really, I mean, the idea of a, of a dev hell iPad app, it sounds entertaining, but I mean, what, where's the value as a marketing person would say, where's the value add? Like, you know, what- you say that, but I'll <laughs> tell you what, I, I like anecdotally, I've seen, you know, after a while I got my wife to just download the podcast directly, but there are at, at, like quite, there are lots of single podcast show apps out there that really? people, people buy them, right? Wow. Because well, if you think about it, there's a big difference between like how do I find a podcast and how do I download that and do all that stuff whereas it it's like they do under like people do understand um how muggles understand how to <laughs> how to make uh how like I know how to download an app. Like I can download Angry Birds and I know I go in here and I can search for stuff, right? So I'm going to search for this thing that I heard of that I heard is funny. So they're going to type in like the nerdist or, you know, Mark Maron's what the fuck podcast or whatever. Right. And so you can get apps for that. And sometimes occasionally it lets you do extra stuff. Like they'll actually put extra things in there or whatever. Or like you will get, be able to get older shows or something that maybe, they've ah. pulled. but for the most part, no, that that's actually a pretty common thing. Now. I mean, I think it depends on the audience a little bit. I would hope to God that everybody who's listening to this podcast who gives a shit about anything we have to say at least knows how to, you know, download a podcast, right? But, All right, and then I'll tell you what, Brian, if you're listening, and I know you will be after we talk about this on Twitter yeah. tomorrow, um, let's figure out a way to build the Dev Hell uh, iPad app. And if it's, uh, or 
or even an iPhone version. I don't know. But I, I had Ed, I had no idea that there were um, single like there were apps available that were just tailored to one podcast. And then we can yeah. discuss we can discuss with Brian how if we wanted to offer Easter eggs and maybe we can do something different for every episode. Every episode has some special thing we build into it that allows them access to something. So it'd be kind of cool. We need to put in um, in-app purchases. Right. Like maybe just like pictures of us. Oh, that would be so sweet. I have this crop top mesh tank top. Tank top I've been dying to wear. Is it so black? I, Did you wear it to the club? Uh, no, it's silver. It oh. matches all the gray hair I have all over my back now. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure your wife would love a picture. Yeah, I'll send that to her. One well, of the guys already seen what you look like, so I can't hand her pictures of you anymore. She uh, gets too just. Dis- she gets too distracted. Is that right? Oh yeah. I. She's feel, sweet on you, Ed. Feel very sorry. She for always you. says to me, "Why do you talk to Ed that way?" And I'm like, "Because he likes it." Right. There's a guy at work, and I won't mention who, but um, I guess uh, like I think he was listening to like one of the first podcasts we did, and he was like, "Who's that talking?" And it's like, "That's you know, Ed." And he's like, "Oh, he sounds sexy." They're <laughs> like, "Dude, stay classy." Yeah, so I give him shit about that a lot, but um. I was like, hey, how's your, did your wife listen to the new podcast? Cl- Actually, I think it's his girlfriend, so it's cool, right, to say stuff like that. Yeah, man. It's our show. We can say whatever we want. Yeah. You, slap, you slap that explicit tag on, and we can do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, right. <laughs> so bad. be sure to listen in, ladies. Now, are you even... Are you, I can't... It, it sounds like the microphone now is like behind your head. No, man. It's still sitting here. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, that's that's better. You know what I think happened? Because I dug out... Oh, you know what happened here? I dug out the the actual um, the earbuds that I got with my Jesus phone. And, yeah, I, right. forgot, and I forgot that they have a mic. It has a little microphone in it. So that's probably what happens. It just Yeah, you're it. using the microphone on the earbuds. Yes. So yes. like when you lean over and just like... And actually it's laying on the wire. On my couch. I think it just... Uh, as I move my head around a little bit, I think what happens is the microphone slips like under the collar of my shirt and stuff. Are you like Stevie Wonder, like when you're talking? What do you mean, like what, like whipping my head back? <laughs> yeah. Hey, number one, I'm insulted that you're making fun of a blind guy. When I somebody- didn't make fun of him. I made fun of you. Oh, so now you're going to deny that you're making fun of Stevie Wonder? Uh, I was simply pointing out something he does. Stay classy, Ed. Stevie knows that's funny. Oh, Stevie, yeah, because you're close personal friends with him, right? Me and Stevie joke about like this all the time. That's right. So, yeah, no, I don't. I'm just laying here, but I'm wearing a shirt with a collar on it. So I think sometimes if I just move my head a little bit, um, if I turn to admire myself on the uh, mirrors on the ceiling in my office, then right. I think the microphone slips underneath the collar. But why the fuck are we talking about this? Well, we're talking, I don't know. But the Jesus pad thing, I think one of the things that is really nice about about it is that because so many people are developing for it, it's just really easy to get applications for it. And, and because it, you know, in a lot, in some ways it's sort of, it's kind of developer hostile in some ways because oh my of, God, is it ever developer hostile? It's a walled garden and you have no say. Right. But on the other hand, compared to other, some, you know, other options that are out there, uh, you know, try making a, a like an application on Android and then realize that there's like 8,000 different devices and they all like, they all have different hardware specs and different screen sizes and some stuff will work on some, but not others. And so you have to like account for so much more shit. 
that I think it become I think it's really hard to do that. Like, well, let's look. Mm-hmm. I guess these days, I guess you have if you do stuff for the various um, iOS devices. I guess your targets are iPhones, right? Um, and there's a couple I- variants iPad of those, three, right? And the other iPad, so iPad two and iPad one, right? Because right. the iPad three, you have that new Retina display a new uh, to account for, right? Um, and then you just have uh, uh, the sucky iPads, and then you have uh, iPhone. But even with iPhone, there's there's not different models. I mean, in terms of the screens, are all the same size. Well, the th- if you go back to the three the three GS, right? It has a uh, a. Th- uh, the 320 by 480. Oh, okay. It so it does have it's it's half resolution of the. Oh, all right. Okay, ones. so that's four potential targets then. Right now, it is it is um proportional. So and it's 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 exactly half size. So it's twice as many pixels on the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 4s. Um, there's been some discussion. So that may some rumors that maybe the iPhone five will have a slightly taller screen. And uh, so not clear whether it will be the same resolution or not. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, there's just a lot less stuff you have to worry about. Like the, the number of potential combinations you can have, uh, if you're developing for iOS, is much much smaller. Uh, so you know. Anyway, but the point is that you know that that's it, that's the it's nice because you can get there's like a much better chance that well if I use this thing, the developers have already thought about that and want to deploy that on iOS. So there's a good chance I'll be able to get an application for that that works on it, right? Yep. So that's cool. I like that. Yeah, because I now that I have both the iPhone and the iPad, I have uh, just like you thought about dipping my uh, toes into the um, dipping your what? My toes. Yeah, yeah. If it was that kind of party. I'd put my dick in the mashed potatoes. But in this right. case, uh, little shout out to Dave Chappelle there. And um, yeah, I've been thinking about putting something together just to see if I could do something useful. I thought about doing an application uh, for the website. Uh, do an app for my uh, the baseball league that I'm in to give people um, an interface to potentially submit their results so so that the commissioner has to do less and less work. But um, right. my, my, I mean, I don't know. I have very mixed feelings. I think it's really cool technology, but man, I don't like the way that Apple's ass raping everybody with a walled garden and you have very little say. And um, there seems to be a lot of arbitrariness going on and maybe that'll smooth out over time, because really we're still in the early days of um, iOS uh, development in general. So, I mean, right. maybe those things will get smoothed out, or maybe they'll just continue to be a bunch of uh, rich, arbitrary dicks. Who knows? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll, I don't know. I don't. I. I mean, it's been a few years, so I don't know that it's going to get any better necessarily. You know, but uh, it seems like it's pretty much par for the course now. Right. Yeah, All right. So the next topic. So we talked about the, we talked about Jesus pad, talked about how I felt I was like in Star Trek, yep. uh, doing Trek. the retrospective. Right. I was a Trek, the Trekkie. My dad is a humongous Star Trek fan, which I can never, right? I can never ever figure out why. Is he an original series guy? He's, he's like everything they've ever done. He's watched. So all really? original, 
Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Um, I don't know if he's seen the the new movie. I know he's seen. A, I know that he's seen a couple of the uh, a few of the other Star Trek movies. What about Enterprise? How do you feel about that? I don't. I don't know if he watched that or not because I when I told him it's like uh, it's all about sexy Vulcan girls. So I don't know if my dad appreciated that, and I don't know what? if he's going to watch it. I know. I know. My dad is not is a, quite a different cat from me. So Lame. Yeah, well, you know, maybe in some ways. Just Stephen, I didn't want my dad. My dad is like one of those old codgers who like forwards emails to everybody. So I have a I have a rule in my Gmail that automatically archives any email that he sends me, so I never see it. Oh, that's nice. Well, I got sick of I got sick of seeing the same chain emails uh, seven or eight times in a week. So I'm like, you know, I got to fix this. And then when my dad says, "Oh, did you see this one?" I was like, "Ah, uh, yeah, I get buried under an avalanche of email, Dad. I don't know. I can look. I, I archived it though. I can probably find it later." Real busy. And then I pretend to find it, and then it's all good. Yeah, that was a good one. So, Ed, tell me again why you really love Rackspace. <laughs> so, Rackspace. Well, we oh, before, oh my God, before we talk about Rackspace. Yeah, so, go for it. We should talk about our sponsor. How many? Is this the last time we have to talk about them? Oh, my God, I don't know. I, I Maybe Almost. we'll try to swing the... Uh, trick them into this again but i think it's getting there our wonderful sponsors uh engine yard trailblazers of platform as a service and even better they were smart and threw a bunch of money at a bunch of really smart motherfuckers over in ireland and bought orchestra.io and they turned orchestra into uh engine yards uh php platform as a service offering so if you are interested in going i would say a step um if you want to get up in the cloud, but you don't want to manage everything yourself, like you would have to with Amazon, check out the folks from Engine Yard. Specifically, if you're into PHP, check out Orchestra.io and tell them the folks from DevHell sent you, and they'll cut you a good deal. All right. Go to Orchestra.io uh, hash uh, DevHell rules. Just go right. to that, and it, it won't save you any money, actually. It won't help in any way. Uh, and it won't, it also won't go to the server. So they won't even know you did it, but, um, they'll be happy that you did. And they'll, you know, and they'll be happy because they're a bunch of good guys. And, and I hope, oh, yeah. we'll, and hopefully we'll see some of them at tech, right? I would imagine. I would be some pretty surprised them. if I didn't see some of those dudes. Yeah. The, uh, the Irish eyes are always smiling and I am, uh, always happy to see those dudes and Helgi and, uh, David Shafiq is working there now. Yep. And, right. uh, so yeah, oh, my wife's coming downstairs. She's gonna make a bunch of noise. I look forward to drinking Jaeger bombs again with the boys from Orchestra.io. Oh yeah, those dudes can put it away. Yep. So I know we are now being very exclusionary by talking about drinking. Classy, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm allowed to talk. Well, I'm allowed to talk about how I like drinking. You don't want to drink? That's okay. I can't drink beer because of this diet. Oh yeah, and that reminds me, Ed. Today is a milestone day for my diet. Because you want to know right? why? Uh, you finally have reverted to Neanderthal. No, I'm I'm now officially forty pounds down from when I started. God damn, dude! All I did was gain ten pounds back. Yeah, sorry, bro. I suck. I'm terrible at this. I have no willpower whatsoever. Basically, yeah, I'm down forty pounds. And that's really I, good, dude. And the dudes who I play softball with, because mm-hmm. uh, our season started, they're like, number one, you look different. I said, it's the beard, and they said, no, no, it's not the beard says you've like lost like a whole ton of weight and then i'm just like yeah man i've lost 40 pounds and some of them are like did you lose 40 pounds on purpose because you know as right. uh maybe as you have diabetes older, right 
as gentlemen get older, we worry about cancer and other things like that. And rapid weight loss right. is often a sign of some disease lurking inside you that's eating away at you. But in this case, I said, no, it's not cancer. And it was uh, on purpose. But yes, yeah, so I feel happy. Ed, I'm 40 pounds down. So those, you know, you, those it, people it, seeing me at tech might actually, might actually almost recognize me. You uh, could still have cancer. It doesn't mean you couldn't have cancer and have lost that weight. That's true. But, but let, let me rephrase that. I'm pretty sure it's not cancer that's causing me to lose the weight. You're pretty sure? Pretty sure. Okay, good. Pretty sure. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it, so if you have, if it wouldn't it be a bummer to find out that, like, you have cancer and you could have just been eaten. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait a minute. No, yeah, actually, that would be a bit yeah, of a bummer. Fuck it. Well, you know, at that point. Be like, I'm gonna die, Christ! I'm smoking uh, three packs a day now. Yeah, right. What's the matter now, dude? You're gonna do right. So, no, like, I, you know what I would do, honestly? Okay, what let's just you? say it's like you find out I got like you know, six months to live, right? Right. Crystal meth. Really? Because well, <laughs> you know how much shit you get done on crystal meth. It's awesome, like when you first start, because uh, you get all this work done, and you uh, you feel great, and you have all this energy. The problem is the prolonged use. If you could yeah, just, but if you only got six months to go, then that's that's you'll you'll be all good, bro. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You'll yeah. only age like ten years, In like six whereas normally, like a couple of years of crystal meth use, you will age like forty years. I don't. The, keep in mind, everyone is listening. I do not know what I'm talking about, so. and we do not advocate uh, the use of uh, illegal. No. Uh, pharmaceuticals stick to the legal drugs but if crystal meth wasn't so addictive it would be great because it's it's like the it's like a super smart drug right get all the stuff done your brain works really fast you're real meticulous you know detail oriented you, you i mean you sound like you're talking from experience ed uh, let's just say i've read a lot about it while hepped up on meth, but anyway, yeah, exactly. let's move. So let's now that we've talked about how awesome Engine Yard is, and how, uh, yes. how uh, David Collier introduced me to the wonders of the Jaeger bomb. And if you don't want to drink, that's cool. I can't drink beer on this diet, so I have to drink things like gin and and Jaeger bombs. That's a shame. Uh, but let's talk about Rackspace and how Rackspace continues to uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, the correct word ass rape you for no reason. I, I, yeah, I don't even know what's going on with these dudes. So. So Rackspace is, you know, it's a different setup than NGR. It's more like it's more like EC, Amazon's EC2, and I would say they're basically a direct EC2 competitor, right? right. So they, uh, you get VMs, deploy them out on their super grid or whatever, and uh, so I had um, Ubuntu server um, VM running there for quite a while, and it was there specifically just to do API stuff for the SPAS project. We had some like web-based APIs to do things like uh, short link resolution stuff like that, right? Um, and it could do things like when you, if you in Spaz, if you, you would be that if you like hover over a link with your mouse, it would pull it would try to pull up a preview like what the title of the web page is and shit like that. Well, it did nice. that by you know it would query out to this API that we had that would do that stuff and you know, it would ca- it would try it would cache it and things like that. So um this was never you know so we had a lot of hits but there wasn't very much traffic. It wasn't like a high bandwidth kind of thing. 
So I paid on an average month, I probably paid about $20 a month just to host this VM. It was a pretty small, you know, and Rackspace doesn't, um, if you're, if you're not using much bandwidth, it's pretty cheap. Um, well, it was so, and it was so regular, it was like 20 bucks a month. I didn't even really think about it most of the time. So it, it kept running for quite a while here, like a couple of years, at least I had it on there. Um, but a few months ago, I was like, I I looked, uh, or I got I got the invoice for like it was in you know oh. beginning of March or something, um and uh, right, it, it, so it this it would have been for February, so I'm looking at it and it says it's so normally it's like a couple maybe twenty bucks twenty one bucks, um suddenly it's like $160. Whoa. Right? And I'm kind of like, oh, shit, that's not good. So I'm wondering what's going on, and I'm like, why? You know, kind of panicky about it. Uh, Now, you know, admittedly, like, it's not, I I do okay with stuff, so it's not like this was going to, like, you know, destroy my bank account or something like that, but it's still not an insubstantial amount of money, and I was kind of freaked out about it. And uh, I, I was more pissed because I was so surprised at it. And I was like, what the fuck? Because the uh, the bandwidth had gone from like very little bandwidth usage to suddenly I look and all the all the extra charges were bandwidth related. It wasn't like CPU related. Right. Right. And it said it was all bandwidth stuff and it was a lot. It was like maybe a couple terabytes of bandwidth. Right. Um, terabytes. So, Jesus Christ, Ed, what was going on? Well, Here's the thing. I'm, you know, for, there's, so there's a couple things I discovered in, in trying to investigate this thing. The first thing is that um, Rackspace doesn't provide any information about, like, how things are being used. Like, there's no, they don't provide you any usage graphs of any kind. There's, um, they just say, this is how much bandwidth you've used, right, for this period. So there's no information like, oh, it was spiking at this time or not or what have you um there was no uh information about like where things were coming from stuff like that i guess the onus is on you to do that and okay i guess but i think that kind of stinks because i think that's not particularly useful that just means you got to roll your own stuff for all that and secondly and what which we'll get into is it means you have to trust that they are uh recording the bandwidth usage properly um, so I go, I get on this, uh, because I don't really want to talk to somebody on the phone real quickly, but I also don't want to deal with email, which will take longer than I want because I'm a little bit antsy about this. So I get on this, uh, which honestly, terrible mistake, get on this live chat thing that they have. Oh, right? yeah, I've seen those things. Yep. And so I'm typing away at this and essentially the answer I get is, well, that's, that's what it says you used. And I said, well, can you tell me like what days this happened on or where things were coming from? And he said, no, I don't have that information. And I said, so does Rackspace not to keep track of that information? You can't tell any of this stuff. You don't have any records of this. And he said, essentially after badgering him a little bit about the asking this question, which is like, how the hell do you exactly do you guys run this business without, you know, figuring that stuff out? Basically says our policy is that we don't give that out. Huh. Right. That's nice. And I think that's kind of horseshit, right? So 
I, Absolutely. You have somebody using your service and they're monitoring your bandwidth to let you know when you've gone over, but they're not willing to tell you what the details were around when you went over. They just right. say, well, you've gone over and they're not. And as a regular policy, they're like, we don't want to, we're not going to give you that info. That's, I agree. Yeah, that's it's like if, if you had the phone company and the phone company was like, you uh, talked for 8,000 minutes this month and you owe us $250. And you said, um, that seems like a lot. Could you maybe tell me when this happened? And they said, no. Right? right. That seems kind of shady. Um, so I kind of am tweeting about this, and I'm sure some people who may have followed me might remember that I sort of raised a stink fit about it because I was a little freaked out about the whole thing and pissed Dude, off. Dude, you had total reason. That is bullshit. You're saying, okay, I want to see what happened. So you can figure out what happened to make sure exactly. that it doesn't happen again. Because if it's totally legit, you want to pay, right? You're not saying, yeah, again, like, you're not saying, I don't want to pay. You're saying, I want to know what the hell happened. Right. And right? I, and I was looking through and initially I had looked at some stuff and thought, Oh, it looks like I'm getting hit by some kind of denial service tag or something. It wasn't, I was just misreading stuff. I couldn't find anything in the logs that looked abnormal compared to other months. Right. I have all, you know, I have detailed usage logs, right? Um, so I couldn't find anything in there. Now, other weird things can happen. It could have been some kind of thing that, you know, somebody somehow breached the server and put something on there and, you know, it was being pushed out in a way that wasn't indicated or what have you. You know, I've seen stuff like that happen. I had stuff like that happen. So I can see stuff like that, you know, um, but it was unlikely because I wasn't, I wasn't running anything there. That was like an obvious target application that people would use to dump stuff on there. Like I wasn't running like a WordPress blog on there or something like that, or, right. or Joomla or something like that. That was like, okay, this is a big target where people will just run stuff against it and they'll set up like IRC bots or crap like that with it. So it wasn't anything like that. Um, so I'm back and forth and I'm like, after, you know, raising a stink about it on Twitter, uh, so the, the Rackspace online, like like Twitter people who are monitoring Twitter, are like, oh hey, let's maybe I'm trying to help you out. Could you please email us? And I'm like, uh, I guess, but I'm kind of pissed about it anyway. So I end up emailing them, and then this person calls me after looking at it. You know, I explained it in the email, and this person calls me and says, uh, you know, text for it says, oh well, it looks like this was all a mistake. So I'm just going to refund you like what the difference was between last month's and this month's, and so there you go. <laughs> And just like that, sorry, bro. So, yeah, right? Like, that kind of is like, so you just made a mistake of, like, it, you were going to charge me for a... You were going to overcharge me for, like, two terabytes of data transfer. And if I hadn't done anything about it, if I hadn't raised that stink, you would have just gone ahead and charged me for it. And the second thing is, if this was their... Like, why did I have to go through this to get them to actually look at it? Right, because I I raised this issue with their tech support in other ways, and that guy blew me off. Right, so you know Rackspace talks about like if you go to there, it's like we're fanatical about support and stuff like that. And yeah, you know not what? So much. Or There's, maybe they're using a, a different interpretation of the word fanatical because right. really that sounds like multiple people drop the ball. Yeah, and it's fine that I found somebody who didn't drop the ball, but I had to do that by b- 
bitching a whole bunch about it and raising a stink. And that bothers me because that indicates to me that you don't have what is a real organization-wide commitment to support. What you have is it's sort of like how when I deal with Comcast, my cable company, if I actually have a problem, it I get much better results by just um, talking to them on Twitter as opposed to, say, calling my local office. My local office is only a couple miles from here, but I don't deal with them because I don't get shit from those guys, right? Well, that's, you know, that that's a problem that they have. You know, it's not, it's not a, it's not really a solution to, uh, have like a team of, uh, you know, a little SWAT team that when they, when somebody raises enough of a stink in the right place, uh, you go take care of it because all, you know, because say 75 or 80% of your support organization is not putting effort in and doesn't give a shit. I wonder if that's like, I mean, not to, not to speculate, but it seems to me that's a common pattern that we'll see where Mm -hmm. places give a lot of lip service to the concept of, Oh, we're great about customer service. And the only way you really get things resolved to a way that you're happy is by complaining loudly and to enough people that you end up talking to somebody. I've gone through this with the, um, uh, so, um, cell phone company that my other phone is with that my wife uses. Right. I've been with them for 15 years. Uh-huh. So 15 years of me handing money over. And we have a really sweetheart deal with them now where my wife pays $10 a month plus a fixed amount per minute that she uses the phone. It's right. not even a plan that you can't even get that plan. Right. Yeah. So one time when I switch to something else and then I switch my number back, they weren't going to honor that old plan. They said, well, that plan is not available. I'm like, I've had that plan for four years. I switched over for three months Mm -hmm. and now I'm coming back and now you're telling me I can't do that. And so the person's like, well, you know, we offer these other plans. And I said to the person, you're trying to upsell me on a plan. I don't want that. I want the plan back that I have. And the person's like, I can't do that. I said, well, then I'm willing to quit right here on the spot. And the person went dead silence. Like, hold on, there's somebody else you need to talk to. And then they transferred me to one of their wonderful customer retention people. And I just said, stop. I said, honor the old agreement. I said, I've been customers and this has been a time I've been customer with them for nine years. I said, honor that agreement or I'm quitting right now and I will take my business someplace else. And so the person was like, Mr. Harches, we can fix that right now. I said, those, I said, that is what I wanted to hear. Right. And so, and so when they did that, I said, thank you for taking care of this. So to, and and right. try to and just to let them know that yeah I know you guys didn't want to do this but because I threatened to quit your little SWAT team jumped into action and saved it yeah how about you just don't how about you keep that from happening right you know yeah you say oh you used to have this old plan you want this old plan Jeez. back and I would say yeah man that's what I want and they're like well let's hook you up but All no right. right because they're like they knew that that technician could see what I used to have they could have a record of everything that I've ever done because I know when I've called. They've said, well, you've had this plan for uh, X number of years. And I'm like, that's right. right. So if they know that, they're like, well, how come you can't honor it again? So what the hell kind of shit is that? So, right, right. So, so this, I only got to part one here. I'm only right. part so this, one. So this is part one where, and I will summarize for those who may have fallen asleep. Yes. I'm was sure that Ed receives a bill that seems wildly out of, uh, out of whack with previous usage patterns. Ed asks Rackspace's supposedly fanatical customer service team. Uh, WTF, and the guy says, I don't know, bro, guess you got to pay. And then 
uh, you're like, but, but dude, I want to know what's going on. And it's like, bro, no can do. So you complain on Twitter and then someone says, Oh, Mr. Finkler, we'll help you out. And then they say, yeah, man. Yeah, bro. Our bad. We'll refund the difference. And though you're still feeling what the fuck. Right. Exactly. Right? So, so, part so, two. so part two, um, after I had shut down, I, I had turned off all the services on the VM and then I, uh, and I uh, went, uh, so I, I, I basically, the only thing I was still running on it was SSH. So I had it up for still a little bit, like a couple weeks. Well, um, and then eventually I turned it off. Uh, I did notice that the, like for the month of March, the uh, outgoing data transfer was still high, like incoming and outgoing were still high. And I thought that was kind of re- I was like, uh, Jesus fucking Christ. Right. You know, you this is still a, happening. And, and, to, and to be clear, all you had on was SSH, right? Yeah. Right. I shut all that stuff off as soon as so like we had that, tu- unless you're tunneling streaming porn through it, yeah, which I you- wasn't, you know, oh. right. Um, and it's on non-standard port, relatively unlikely that something was happening. Um, you know, it's, I guess it's possible that you can imagine some scenarios, but it's pretty unlikely. Uh, so, I still had, you know, a pretty substantial data transfer, like about 400 gigabytes, right? 350 gigabytes, right? right. Um, so what, so I saw it was high still, and I ended up just deleting the VM. Um, like, you know, fuck all this. I just, you know, fine. Okay. Uh, I'm not even going to try to bring it back. The, you know, clearly they're still having this problem. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, fuck it. Well, so I noticed I'm looking at my credit card bill. So like three weeks ago, and it's like here's this charge from Rackspace for like seventy dollars, and I'm like that seems high. So of course the exact same thing happened, right? Um, it wasn't as much. It was about half as much as I had the month before, but uh, still had a an, an outgoing transfer bill of like sixty three dollars for a machine that um, services were shut down on it. Right, I had everything disabled on that machine, so uh, I go and make a ticket and or, or ask him like, "Hey guys, uh, you know, last month uh, or, or month before, back on this, you know, this ticket here, where you guys gave me a credit because you said you made a big, you know, bandwidth mistake that none of this bandwidth, it was all just a mistake that I it wasn't me at all, it was all you." Well, it kind of looked like it still happened again the next month. And so I kind of don't think that I should uh, pay for this. This seems weird. So anyway, actually, I think I called him up because last time I had actually called him on the phone. The people, I will say when I called Rackspace, every time I've called their support, actually a human answered, which was kind of nice. Um, anyway, so I got a ticket here and this person who was working on stuff says, and the ticket says, hi, team customers calling regarding their April invoice outgoing data transfer. Please send me back if a credit is going to be given. That was on May 3rd. Now, don't hear anything, don't hear anything for eight, for five days. And I say, any information on that? Nothing. So then on um, May 9th, which was yesterday, uh, I started saying, hey, I said on Twitter, it would be awesome if Rackspace actually got back to me on this stuff. I asked about it six days ago, and they still haven't responded to my ticket even after I asked them about that. Could you maybe look into that? 
They say, oh, yeah, hey, let us know. So then I get a guy to uh, actually say, do something about it after he contacts me on Twitter, says email, and we'll do Okay, fine. So that actually apparently got them to pay attention to it, which was nice. You know, um, again, I had to stomp my feet to get them to actually do something about it. And threaten to hold your breath. And right, exactly, yeah. So then support at Rackspace. This is the ticket I got today. And I saw it, uh, I don't know, around 5 p.m., but I said, Good morning, Edward. I apologize for the delay. After viewing our system, the outgoing data you're referring to is for March service. Well, the previous one, it said April. That's fine. March, April, whatever it was for. I provide the information below. Yes, I had seen this information already. Uh, bandwidth in. This is interesting. Yeah. 1.7 terabytes bandwidth in. <laughs> for a VM that's been deleted. So, yeah. Uh, you think I uploaded 1.7 terabytes of data to my VM? That VM only had like 20 gigs of storage on it. Um, bandwidth out 345 gigabytes, size 512 megabyte, Linux OS. Okay. Um, you did not receive any charges for April. Yeah, that's because I deleted the VM. With that said, I will not be issuing you a credit. If you have further questions, please let me know. Really? That's what it says. So, so, my, so, so Ed, again, let me summarize for those who may have been dozing off. Yes. So you disabled services on the VM. Yep. And I, and since I trust you, since I know you and trust you, I'll, I'll take your word that you actually did shut everything off and verified that they're all shut off yep. on top of that. After a while, you just kept it open for a little bit and then like, okay, fuck it. I'm, I'm turning everything off and I'm deleting it. Right. And then they turn around and said, Hey bro, a terabyte and a half of data just flowed into your VM. That's what that, that's uh, what their magic uh, meter you know, said. Yeah. Uh, that's horseshit. That's a rack space. Come on. Really? Right, you guys are that disorganized that you're going to look at this and say a VM that was shut down and deleted and only had and like you said only had 20 gigs of storage has received a terabyte and a half of data coming in. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I wrote them back uh, on here. It says, so why was I issued a refund for erroneous usage in February? But when that erroneous issue continues, I'm not issued such a refund for March. You know, external services are not running. The VM can you provide me with detailed information about where the usage was originating. And then I followed up and said, in fact, I have the entire VAR log directory from the VM, which I downloaded right before I deleted it, just because I anticipated this kind of problem. If you remember, I had seen that the bandwidth was still going up for the, the period after that February issue. I'm happy to provide it. I don't see any evidence that bandwidth usage like it described. You know, I can share it with you. So then I, I just, I'm like, fuck this, I call them up. So, I, because I just was like, I, I'm i not going to wait for them to send me a ticket back, right, and to deal with this. I'm going to call them up, and I call them up, and I'm like, okay, I have this ticket number. And they tell me, um, hey, could you answer your security question? It says, who let the dogs out? And I say, I don't, I don't remember that at all. Um, so, I'm like, can I tell you something else? This is my address. This is my, you know, phone number. It's like... Well, are, are you logged into it now? Can you change it? So I said, yes. And I changed my security question there to, you know, something else. And I was like, and I gave her the question and the answer because you could type in your own question. And she's like, okay, cool. So I have to do that. And then I'm like, okay, so I've got this is the ticket. And then this is the ticket before where you guys said, oh, we fucked up. This was all our fault. None of this bandwidth was yours and refunded me all of that money. And it happened again the next time, and I filed a ticket, and now you're telling me you're not going to issue a refund. 
And she said, okay, well, let me look into this. Uh, it looks like somebody already responded to this from billing, so I need to get somebody from billing on it. Put me on hold for, like, I don't know, five, ten minutes. Come back. I'm still trying to get somebody from billing. Um, sorry. Hang on. And I'm on hold for a few more minutes. And then somebody... <laughs> that, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, awful music, right? Yeah. And then... Um, so then uh, another woman comes to the line and says, hey, I'm from billing. Um, so what's up? And I say, uh, look at this ticket. You guys uh, said that this was all your fault and that it was completely an error. And then the next time, next month, it kept happening. There's, I had all this stuff shut off. I kept having this bandwidth kept going up. And uh, now you aren't refunding me. What's the deal? And she's like, okay, well, let me look into this. Let me get, I'm going to look at my usage tool now. Oh, magically, apparently somebody has access to a usage tool that probably tells them all this information. I am shocked. I know, shocking, right? So um, she's like, can I put you on mute? I just need to, and I'm like, mute? What? That's weird, but okay. Um, Not like on hold, but mute. Um, And apparently she needs to go talk to somebody. I don't know. Anyway, so basically I hang on for about, you know, five or ten more minutes, and she's like, okay, I'm going to issue you a refund. Um, Is it okay if I just, you know, indicate that in the ticket, and we do that, and then it's going to show up on your next invoice? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So what's the issue then? Have you canceled? Well, I don't have any VMs with them anymore, so I have an account still. Right. But I don't operate on them, and I sure as fuck I'm never gonna I you know look this was some shitty little you know VM I was paying $20 a month for tops but you know I am certainly never gonna propose Rackspace as a solution for any stuff that we might actually you know use more things for Damn, I'm, so I'm, that's whack. I'm never gonna be like hey guys you know what? we ought to look at Rackspace as an alternative for AWS because these guys can't even provide you with uh, a freaking graph that shows you how much bandwidth you used each day. Yeah, I don't get that at all. Well, it just, I mean, it just, yeah, I don't know what to say. That's just, that's number one, that's that's really shitty customer service. And number two, again, it's just this, this nice trend when companies get to a, a certain size, their customer support turns crap because their customer service starts becoming a very large percentage of their operating costs and then they said i think a lot of companies set it up deliberately to avoid they make it as they make it as difficult as possible to resolve problems yeah so that you're more likely to just say you know what i'll just pay for it and be done with it because there's i mean dude there are tons of there are tons of non-confrontational people who would just see that bill and go oh well, yeah and, and i thought about it because i was like well it's 60 bucks really why do i give but you know what i was like god damn it it's enough money where i kind of do give a shit about it and i was like i you know fuck you you can't just do this right um it would you know obviously something was broken before you guys didn't fix it and now you want me to pay for fake stuff that happened really i mean and who is not kicking ass in there to make this not happen i know who's who's in charge there who's looking at the trends on the tickets and saying why does this continue to happen i don't know whatever you know, oh, well, the ops guys say they can't, you know, they thought they fixed it, but it keeps going up, so I don't know. Herp derp. Right. So anyway, um, 
that's my story that basically, uh, you know what, whenever I talk to the people on the phone, they were nice. And I will say like they're the Twitter people seem to monitor stuff really closely and were responsive to these issues. But the fact is that I had to be an asshole about stuff both times to fix things that were their fault. And they would have been happy to go ahead and, tr- and charge me 10 times what I normally pay because of that. And the only way it got resolved, it wasn't by any of their doing or any of their efforts. It was because I had to raise a stink about it. And so, no, I am never going to consider Rackspace as a solution for anything because of this. I'm extremely disappointed. I, you know, I, I, I can, I could never suggest that somebody else looks at him again. It's, I, it's awful, you know, because I'd be very concerned that this would happen to them because shit, they, it happened to me twice in a row. I told them, you know, they knew it was a problem. They had to refund me this money and they didn't fix it. The only time it stopped happening is when I completely turned off their service. So I don't know. Fuck those guys. Yeah, you know? I know that's yeah. Sorry. Rackspace. You're in the shit list now too. Yeah, I mean, is. I've had my VPS that runs my blog. Um, I've been with Linode for a couple of years now mm-hmm. and um, I've been incredibly happy with them. And I think all the, I think all the time that I've had a server someplace else, I've never had any billing issues. Never. Um, Lino was awesome. I was with slice host for a long time. They were awesome too. Never had yeah. any problems uh, with billing. Uh, anytime there were any problems, they responded super quick. A few times they're like, Oh no, you're misunderstanding how it works. This is how this one thing actually works. And you know, they showed me and I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes total sense. Now right. I understand why the system was behaving this way that I observed, but yeah, come on Rackspace. You guys talk about your fanatical customer support and customer service. It sure doesn't. It sounds like you're not spending enough time training uh, that those first level of people that you talk to whenever that you encounter on any support ticket. They're just yep. they're 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 either not being trained or the people just don't care and they're like, dude, I, I I get paid whether your problem gets fixed or not. Yeah, and you you mentioned Slicehost. I know a lot of people like them. Uh, you know who Slicehost is now, right? Rackspace. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's not the reason why I moved to Linode, but, um, I moved to Linode for other reasons on recommendation from some of my other friends. Right. Um, but yeah, so, uh, consolidation always happens. I'm sure one day Linode will get bought by Rackspace and they'll be like, fuck it. I got to move this up to somewhere else. I have, I have, I have thought about actually, because all I really have on that, uh, on my VPS now is just my blog and it's static. I don't even use PHP. It's just HTML. Right. Cause I, cause I use Octopress. Right. Which is the, which is yeah. the hipster Jekyll thing. Oh, well, yeah. Well, we, that's what we well, use for well, We use it for dev, huh? Right. So I've often wondered if it might just actually be less hassle and more cost-effective to host my static content up on S3 or something. Because I know there's some people that do that. So. Yeah, you could do that. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I have like the exact same setup you do, basically. I, yeah. I have some other things on there to actually use PHP. But, I mean, I have yeah. a Linode uh, VM that I do my personal stuff on. And yeah, uh, yeah right now my, all my stuff, my blog is just static files. So, yeah. So uh, although the, the main reason I don't get rid of the VPS is oftentimes I get ideas for projects and I start playing with them on, right. on that. And just so also, so I can share with other people and say, Hey, uh, oftentimes I tell my friends, Hey, can you go look at this URL? 
and, right. and, and tell me what you're seeing. So yeah, it's a little easier. Like there's some things. Like if you have something you know, like fits inside a stack that's out there, like you might use yeah. something like. You know, maybe you'd push up an engineer thing or, you know, like Heroku has a, fl- a free thing you can just push stuff out with and, yeah. you know, play around with things. Like, you wouldn't want to run it and, like, have a bunch of people use it, but you could, you know, just play around with stuff. That's fine, but, like, if you if you want to do stuff that doesn't support their platform or it's not supported by their platform, like, you want to, I don't want to run a Tokyo Tyrant database or something. Well, you know, you can't really do that so look at you talking about other alternate NoSQL solutions i'm very proud of you Ed. Burp, burp, burp. yeah i just read about it sound like i've ever used it <laughs> you read about it like today yeah so i don't like, even oh, think show chris i know something I'm gonna yeah i know about i know i was just trying to think of like the most obscure one i could think yeah of, i think tokyo tyrant is probably yeah, right. obscure. Yeah. next you'll be telling me dude i run my stack on berkeley db but anyway. yeah, right yeah it's all berkeley all right, so now we can get to the part of the program where I always, uh, when usually before we start talking, I yell at Ed because he's getting to work with um, technologies that I really wish I was often working with instead of being uh, nuts deep in PHP testing stuff. Yeah. So uh, tell us about uh, your fun experiences with Python, PIP, and VirtualEnv because you oh, yeah. get to work on a Django app. I, you know, and my experience has been, is, has really been really small. And so I, or, 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 you know, minimal right now. So, right. So I just talk because I've done work with virtual and uh, virtual env and stuff, and I'm kind of actually interested in hearing your perspective. And I think this may spark an interesting discussion. So keep going. So the, the thing that I found in the very, very tiny uh, amount of work that I did have done so far with it, whereas I was just like, well, you know what? I really kind of need to learn start learning more python because we're using it on some projects and uh you know so that i can help out i need to kind of be a little more up to speed and also i was like i wanted to do some stuff for like integration with some external services that i've written things in php before but i wanted to do them in python to work on this project so um i and also you know i just want to mess around some stuff so i i went through like some real short tutorials on uh uh, one of these like really easy to deploy services that has some free stuff with it. And I pushed up uh, and they have basically things like, okay, here, get a hello world app running and you can do it in flask or they also have instructions for Django. And... Oh, I love flask. Right. Right. So uh, I got some things running flask and they step you through it and they kind of do it the right way where it's like, okay, you set up virtual env, And so they step you through that and then do, you know, install stuff with pip. And then you have a requirements file and you give them this requirements file where you output the, you put out, you freeze the pip freeze and it tells you what all the versions are, the stuff that you've got. And then that way, when you push it up to their system, they can say, oh, this is all the stuff that you need to have. And they have it for you there. Like they duplicate that environment up on their system. So are you allowed to talk about what service this is? Yeah, it's free. Well, I think so. You know, they're, in some sense, they're kind of competitor to Engineard, but um, it, they do stuff like with Python, which I don't think Engineard supports. So I think it's safe to say that. So it's, I, I always mess around with Heroku, and right. so right. Heroku has like a free thing, and they um, they support some stuff that Engineard doesn't. Like they support like you can do Node.js dev on it, or you can do um, uh, like Python stuff, right? So I was so this this was stuff related to Heroku. It's nice because you can. I, I'm sure they're not the only ones who can do this, but it's, they had really nice, like, this is how to get stuff working. And it helped me because it was like, I, the biggest thing I find with transitioning when I'm already experienced with building web apps, but I'm experienced with building them with a different technology set is that 
most of the stuff, like the code stuff, isn't really the problem so much. It's more the like the best practices, like how am I supposed to organize stuff, and where do I put things, and how do I install libraries and stuff like that? Because I know how to do all that stuff on in this technology stack, but I don't know how to do it under Python, right? Right. Well, the experience I've come away with so far has been that, but like all this stuff works really cleanly, and it just seems pretty straightforward, and I like how. I think that's it's just culturally Python seems to do a really good job of that because they really could I was talking it's, it touches on a couple of these things but the I think that Python as a I guess you say a project has some pretty clearly stated principles that they follow right The Zen of Python is right. an awesome I mean there's so, read it Right so and I think there's a lot of value in that, in like any kind of project you're doing, like or if you have some sort of organization, what's the point of it? I think it's really easy like to sort of lose focus on that and I don't know, what do you what they say, you lose the forest or from the tree you can't see the trees. I don't, I can't remember the Can't see the forest for the trees. Hey, there you go. Right. Well you get so kind of wound up in sort of day to day shit and detail stuff that you're not thinking about like you don't really you sort of forget like what's the point of it and and also i so when we're you're dealing with organizations particularly ones that are not like the point is let's make money right that sort of solves a lot of problems for you if your point is we're trying to make money like that helps make some decisions for you like should we you know take an 8 hour lunch or not well no because our point is to make money right um so but less facetiously, I think there's a lot of value, and I found this with Spaz and with some other stuff too, that even if just for my purposes of decision making, um, I really found it useful to have like a core set of principles of this is why I'm doing this, right? And these are sort of, I guess you'd say, uh, cultural norms or principles or morals or whatever that I'm that should guide what we're doing with this. You know, this is why we're doing this. These are the kinds of things that we're trying to accomplish here. This is the point of this project, right? And I think there's two things that happens. One, I think if you when you articulate those clearly, I think it's a lot easier for other people to understand, oh, this is what this is trying to do and to buy into what you're talking about. When it's kind of if it's just like, this does cool stuff, do you dig cool stuff? Well, that might sustain you as long as that stuff seems cool and exciting for a little bit, but I think it's harder to do that on a longer, you know, sort of longer term. I think that um, if people have an idea of what's the point of, you know, helping out with this project or working on this project or whatever, you know, if we talk about, say, open source stuff, I don't know. Shit, I think we started talking about community building accidentally. Um, the, uh, the I think that kind of thing really aids uh, hel- helping people understand where you're coming from and buy into it and say, yeah, this is something I believe in. This is why I want to help out with this stuff too. The second thing I think it does is it helps guide your decision making. It doesn't solve things for you automatically. But you can say, well, should we do X, Y, or Z? Well, it's going it's to help you out if you have some guiding principles to help you make those decisions. Because sometimes when you're stressed out and you're like dealing with a bunch of different shit and you got a bunch of, I don't know, pull requests coming in or whatever. I don't know, just whatever. 
if you go back and say, you know, this is why I'm doing this, <laughs> that could oftentimes help you answer some questions like, should I, I don't know, mo- try to monetize, like with Spaz, it was like, should I try to take advertising or monetize it in some way or not? Well, I had these sort of core principles and that helped answer some of those questions for me, right? Um, it's been interesting that uh, I think I think that's a big difference between, say, Python and PHP. And PHP... Um, PHP maybe, is the Wild West, motherfucker. That's right. what it is, is what I've come to realize, that the efforts to kind of rein in the community, they don't work. So... so, it, so you could argue, I think that, and maybe this is somewhat the case, that um, PHP is intentionally anarchic, and that is the point. Um, but I remember having a discussion with some dude who's a core PHP developer, and I was kind of like trying to I think I was trying to talk about. Uh, well, I think it would really help if, like, you had some actual, like, you had a person, like, you made a position that a person who actually coordinated stuff, like communication between um, the PHP, like I guess you'd say the audience or PHP developers and the core group, like to figure out what are people, what do do people actually value and what are they interested in seeing the language go and stuff like that. Um, And it was interesting because they, um, you know, he intentionally, you know, very strongly pushed back on that because he was like, oh, I don't like mission statements. And I don't, why doesn't somebody just do it? Why do we have to have a position? Well, because sometimes you actually have to kind of organize things a little bit. Yeah, and sometimes you need to provide some structure. As, <laughs> right. As loath as you might be to do it, there are circum- there are times where you got to say, we got to step up and, and we, we have to apply some structure. Yeah, you know, that's, it is true because if you kind of look at, if you compare, um, Let's compare Ruby, Python, and PHP. I think that um, PHP is very much Wild West, and I think it's always going to be that way. Very mm-hmm. um, um, anarchic, as you put it. I like that term to describe PHP because PHP is kind of like, well, really, we're just interested in getting shit done. Mm-hmm. So it may be ugly. It may be pretty, not be pretty. There may be... Um, uh, inconsistencies in the languages API itself, the whole, you know, the whole uh, parameter stuff, uh, needle, haystack, haystack, needle. But in the end, PHP is like, we just want to get shit done. Right. The Ruby, the Ruby people, the Ruby people's belief is um, developers matter. Developer time is more important than um, server time. So Ruby is set up to try to make developers happy to, build with it. So that's why Ruby has all these awesome tools, has a good, has a probably the best culture out there surrounding testing. Mm-hmm. And then you have Python. Python is like, we want to be chill and there's only one way to do things. So that, I mean, just having some, I think if people, if people looked at PHP, cause I've started to look at it differently the mm-hmm. past past year or so i really think that i have that i realize that it is a wild west it is a free-for-all it is uh, we're interested in getting things done mm-hmm. because i i saw somebody talk about how ruby is glue and i thought oh my god you don't have no fucking idea what you're talking about <laughs> right. um because you want you want glue you want a tool that binds a whole bunch of different shit together right. in a web app it's not ruby it's not Python. It's fucking PHP because PHP everywhere Apache goes, PHP is right there saying, dude, my PHP hook me up. 
mm-hmm. and boom, you can go. I mean, I, I saw some discussion about this where someone says, oh, I think that it actually takes more effort to get Apache plus PHP running. And I'm like, oh, my God. I feel like saying as soon as I saw that, I said, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. I said, you're trying to tell me that if you said to three people, build me uh, an app to do the following, and you have to start from scratch, meaning that you have a bare bones server. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you actually trying to tell me it would take you longer to get Apache and PHP configured and some code written and displayed on a web page for somebody than it would be to do that in Python or do that in Ruby? That's right. fucking nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Right. In fact, I might throat punch people if I ever hear them talking about that in person. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Oh. So, but, so, yeah. so, so my experiences with the whole virtual environment thing have been um, – in many ways, Ruby has borrowed that same thing with RVM mm-hmm. and Bundler. It's the same idea. Let's try and create an environment full of um, known versions of libraries. So that way you make it, it's not that you're making it portable, but you're telling people up front, if you want to use my stuff, here's all the requirements. So ahead of time, people are going to look at it and say, oh, your application is using the following versions of the following library. So, you know, you will know immediately um, what's going to work. I even find with PHP, um, even as an experienced developer, there's still um, trip ups where you're like, Oh, Oh crap. The app is crashing. Why is it crashing? Oh, it's trying to execute that function. Oh, I don't have the socket module compiled in or, Oh, I don't have GD or, Oh, I'm missing this thing. I'm missing PDO. I'm missing this other thing. So in, in that respect, um, I really admire the work that's gone into RVM and Bundler on the Ruby side and with um, virtual and and some of the other helpers. I think the virtual environment thing is just awesome. And the fact that a place like Heroku was smart enough to leverage that and say, you know how we can make this real easy? Make them use a particular set of tools and using those tools as a condition for you being allowed to run your stuff in our environment. Because then we can take that info and tailor the environment exactly the way that you need it, of course, within a certain set of limitations, because they might be able to say, oh, we can't, oh, we don't offer this thing. It's like what Google App Engine did, where they're like, oh, we can run all this Python stuff, but the only thing you can't use is any um, libraries that rely on C, because we won't let you do anything with C on App Engine. Right. So, similar type of idea. Yeah, so I, I guess the experience I've had so far is that it's been easy for me to find information about how to do stuff in an appropriate way. Um, doing a little bit of stuff with Django was really straightforward. Like it was like, okay, how do the sessions work? Here's how the sessions work. Everything was really pretty straightforward, and uh, it wasn't overwhelming. There wasn't tons of stuff. There wasn't. It didn't have like shitloads of boilerplate for you. Uh, it was just nice and straightforward, and uh, it was easy to see how they go. You know how that stuff gets extended out. Um, from having it, you know, a small. Uh, basic app to to stuff that's more advanced. So I was uh you know pretty I'm pretty happy with it. It seems um very it's very nice and straightforward, and I really appreciate that. So you play uh, you played with Flask? You said a tiny tiny bit. Yeah. I, I have done. Have you bit. ever looked at the little Flask app that I wrote the I code for it? No, I don't think so. Yeah, you should. I'm. I mean, if you do get the chance, and I know you're a busy dude, but you should go over uh, to my GitHub page. And uh, I have a little Flask app that I wrote that runs on Google App Engine. And the sole reason I did that was to 
build something with Flask and build something that ran on Google App Engine. It was this little app. I've probably talked about it before on a previous episode uh, called Lies I Told My Kid. So oh, yeah. it was just a little app where I had a form and you could submit um, – because as a parent, you understand that there are sometimes uh, non-truths that you tell your children for yeah. a variety of reasons. I don't and lie to my child. And, some, and sometimes in my case, it's just for just to be purely vindictive. You tell your children yes. uh, something totally wrong. Like my favorite one that my kids still talk about is where I insisted that um, chocolate milk came from wild cows. Nice. So, um, so yeah. So I just built a little Flask app um, that ran on Google App Engine just for the whole experience of um, having done that. So. Um, if you wanted to see that, yeah. I would suggest to take a look at that because that's also an example of integrating with some um, non-standard, um, some some non-standard components, third-party stuff, and building an app that had to, building an app that had to operate in a particular set of constraints. And the, just the big constraint was that um, you, it, it was set up to use the Google App Engine data store that they offered, and I think right. I also had it hooking into. Um, their own authentication thing so that you could only submit stuff if you had an existing account with Google. Because right. that would provide me proof that if people started doing stupid shit, I could get their user information and confront them and say, just cut that shit out. So, yeah, right. um, so yeah, if if you're interested in learning a little bit more about a Flask, I think the app itself is about two years old now. So, And it's not running anywhere. So people are can feel free to go and grab that. And there was also some activity recently with that. Uh, I wrote a thing to um, like a little uh, template loader for Django oh, that yeah. would allow you to use Haml in your templates oh, if right. you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that recently got some activity and some pull requests because the guy who maintains um, HamlePy, which is like, you know, to allow you to use Haml in Python stuff, mm-hmm. um, said, yeah, I'm not working on this anymore. So somebody took over it and then they're like, oh, maybe we should uh, integrate um, um, Jaml, which is my project, uh, in with HamlePy. And I'm like, Dudes, go for it. And if there's any changes that you need to make, just send me pull requests. I'll take a quick look and integrate them into my project. So, right. so that was. I always felt it's kind of weird to find people using something that you kind of did as a throwaway just to experiment with something, right. and find out that other people are like actually using it and saying, "Hey, I got some changes that will make this thing work better." With like, "Oh, this thing will make it work with Django one five. I'm like, "Cool, merge it in." And, you know, send yeah. me the requests and I merged it in. So that was kind of cool. Right. So. It's uh, it's just nice, like the stuff that I've I've. So I'm sure there's stuff I'd run into that's not going to work out, but or that's going to be a pain. But most of the stuff I run into with Python is the everything seems like it's well thought out, intentionally try not to make it overly complex and high quality. Like that's been my experience. Is that I generally tend to run into pretty, you know. People put some effort into that, and uh, that's really nice. I'm not sure how much of that is, you know, there's plenty of debate, like compare that to PHP, is that because PHP has such a shallow learning curve that you could just get way different, like a much more diversity in like approach and quality and stuff like that. I don't know. but Oh, no, I think that's totally it, Ed. I mean, I think really to build an app with Python uh, or even to build a Rails app, you... I think you need to know more about programming in general than to yeah. whip something together with PHP. Because really, if you look at a Rails app or, or Django app or whatever, um, you can't, you cannot easily mix all the display. Like you can't do all the shit that you can easily do in PHP where you can just 
you know, spit out a PHP page that has all your business logic and your display logic all mashed together. You just can't do it. They enforce right. that. And they, for even with Django, their templating system is actually quite restrictive. And, in, right. and, and, so, and I found when I was first fooling around with Django and trying to figure out how to use it, um, that bugged the shit out of me. I was like, why, why can't I do more stuff? And I look at right. it. I'm like, Oh, you mean I can't do it that way? I'm like, Christ. And I have to waste all this time searching around, trying to figure out how to accomplish something that I'm like, this would be, I'm like, this would be like three lines of code in PHP, dude. And I'm like, fuck. Right. But, but after a while you come to appreciate that they've made a decision and you want to use their shit. Well, that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, at least with Django, you can look and say, well, we can use alternate um, templating engines and, and all that other wonderful stuff. If you really want to do. Yeah. I, 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 I guess. And the one thing, I guess final final thing I'd say about this is that I think it's always the case that, it it reflects sort of like the 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 culture around a different project or you know whether that's ruby or python or some any other open source thing or or um a community built around a platform like i did a lot of stuff with expression engine the content you know the cms um well one of the things that's interesting i think is that um how like if if uh, because Expression Engine is a pay for product, it was much more common for almost all the add-ons that you could buy, like third-party produced plugins and things like that. That most of them were two or well, two things. One, higher quality were fairly high quality, but also it was typical that they would be pay for applications. There were far fewer, you know, free things. Whereas let's compare that to you see some of that in like WordPress, but the, I would still say like the majority of stuff you see out there, just plugins for WordPress or stuff like that. I know there's a lot of like themes that are sold, but just there's tons and tons of free stuff. And I think it sort of reflects the parentage. And I guess you might say it's the culture that gets established around that community, right? Well, the culture that's established around Python, like the principles are pretty strongly are, are made clear. So, it particularly helps there because it is, you know, that, that, that's the culture that, you know, the culture that you want, you, you know, that culture that you put out there gets reflected by the other people in the community, the other folks who come along to it and do stuff. And, um, I think that's, what's weird about PHP is that it is so organic and anarchic and, that's just the nature of it. And, you know, there just isn't what, what it, what it does reflect that culture. And that culture is, I think, intentionally, um, not, uh, intentionally nonspecific. Like, like it's kind of like, yeah, just get it done. You know? Um, so, uh, there is, there is no, as far as I've ever been able to tell a set of, principles guiding the PHP project. If there are, I don't know what they are, and my impression is that nobody else knows, except for maybe, I don't know, Rasmus? You know? Um, and I get the impression that the, you know, my, my belief is that the uh, the principle is, in fact, be completely organic about it. Like, and be very hands-off about it. And uh, it reflects that. You know? 
the same way that it that uh cultures around other communities you know that it's reflected in in what other you know other stuff does i don't know where i'm going with this this is this stupid no no this is good ed i mean you do this is a good point that it it is i think it's god and i just lost my train of thought too i had something so cool to say oh man Uh, um no i just think that really if you look at it's all about, oh God, I'm rambling again. Jesus. Because you know what the problem is? I'm thinking about the next topic we might talk about, um, which is bad. I should be focusing. Yeah, you um, should be focusing. I should, I'm going to get some laser-like intensity now. All right, cool. Um, yes, PHP, I would agree with you that uh, upon reflection over multiple years now, uh, it's deliberately uh, done this way. Mm-hmm. Because PHP's thing is just get it done. PHP, uh, really, it's glue. It's uh, lightweight wrappers around C functions, and um, they change and add new things only when enough people scream loud enough that they want them. Mm-hmm. And that's really it. Um, you know, you could say in the last little while, a lot of the changes uh, for PHP are, in my opinion, driven by um, the rise of web application frameworks that a lot of the changes are all sim- have a lot of them have been done to make the framework people happy improvements to the object model the addition of closures um uh the addition of perhaps the new um uh the new array syntax mm-hmm. um stuff like that those are all things that help make um larger apps maintainable and also introduce um new concepts. I mean, it's like you want anonymous functions. That's cool. You could do them before they were just kind of clunky. They just made it easier. Right. And stuff like, if you look at stuff like traits, I'm like that, it, dude, that is totally designed to help out the frameworks where right. you, where you build all your apps by extending and now with traits using methods from other interfaces and things like that. It's, right. it's, it's all to support the frameworks. And, and it's funny because like in Ruby, you can't think of Ruby without thinking of Rails. And I don't really think that, I mean, I've been following it very vaguely, um, but it doesn't seem to be like anything that goes on in Ruby is driven by the demands of Rails. It seems like all Ruby is concerned about is like, we just want to keep making it faster and making stuff make uh, make better sense. In fact, mm-hmm. it seems that, it seems to me that Ruby is adding very few things. They're more like consolidating and getting rid of stuff that didn't make that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Whereas PHP seems to be adding more things on, not taking away a lot of things uh, because there's always that fear of angering the stupid PHP four hosts. Yeah. Uh, shared host people who don't want to be bothered upgrading. Um, so it's just a very like I said, I think PHP is driven forward by pressures from the framework people who like are saying we want a way to build our frameworks better. So here's some things that we would like to see. And those things are starting to be reflected in PHP. It's just, it's, I find it, uh, uh, it's interesting and frustrating all at the same time. Oh yeah. yeah. I would say that's definitely the case. All right, Ed, we've been talking for how long now? An hour and a bit. Yeah. Do you want to save that? You want to save uh, our other topic where I was going to talk about pair programming? We can save that for another podcast. Yeah, I'm sick of talking to you. So yeah. So oh, so that also reminds me. Speaking of this stuff, right. mm-hmm. um, I am going to tech. You yes. Are going to 
tech. Yeah. We we are going to be doing uh we're going to do a live podcast at tech, right? Yeah, we're gonna try. We'll see how this right. goes, but yeah. So I so to tell people out there, I do not know if we will be recording another episode between now and uh, when tech is on. I would maybe, yeah. I would maybe like to if we can find the right guest to talk about something. But we will be at tech, um, and we will be trying to set up a time to do a live podcast with all our friends and haters at the same time around us, so we can talk about things. So if you are going to be at tech and you want to participate, please let us know. Um, and I would like to build up. Um, build up a, a list of topics that we can go over because I imagine a very long um, ramble cast. And I think Ed, it might even be better that we could talk for two to three hours, but break it up into two podcasts and we don't release everything at once. Yeah. I'm also trying to figure out how the hell I'm supposed to record more than one person on this stuff. Maybe Which we need to get a, maybe we need to get a mic, spring some of that sponsorship <laughs> money and buy a mic. Yeah, probably we'll yeah. figure it out. I'd be cool with contributing some of my, uh, some of my engineer money towards getting us a mic so we can record some stuff. Well, I mean, I have mic, I have microphone and audio equipment and stuff I can bring. So we'll talk about that on time. I'm sure right, they don't so, want to hear us. You know, so let's time. wind things down. So once again, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. I know we didn't talk about programming too much, but I think we had some very interesting uh, discussions uh, regardless. And if you don't like it, well, fuck you, because you, stu- stu- you were dumb enough to listen all the way to the end. Yeah, fools. So how about that sponsor, Engine Yard? Engine Yard, dude, I'm so happy Engine Yard sponsored us because now it lets us do things like buy awesome uh, USB snowball mics so that we can uh, we can have other people in live situations talk to it's us. A snowball and, a mic, a snowball mic. Oh, yeah, okay. snowball mic. That's what I said. What the fuck did you think I said? Something about snowballing or something. Well, that teabagging? No, that's something different. That is, um, yeah. yeah. Look so, it up on Urban Dictionary. That's right, teabagging. I'm a big fan. No, so, um, so yeah. So once again, let's th- thank our sponsors, Engine Yard. Uh, trailblazers on the platform as a service along with the fine folks at orchestra.io mm-hmm. hi liz hi helgi hi Eamon, hi the two davids uh hopefully we'll see a whole bunch of you guys at tech um so as always this has been development hell the podcast check us out online at uh devhell.info. you can find us on twitter at dev underscore hell uh, i'm chris Harches. you can find me at uh on twitter at grumpy programmer without the u at the other side of Skype is Ed Finkler. You can find him as Funkatron with the with the U. And thanks again for talking. For talking. Thanks again for listening to us. Thanks for listening us to talk. Listening to us talk and ramble on about our favorite topics. We'll see you guys again, and we'll look forward to seeing a bunch of you at Tech. Take care. Goodbye, everyone.